Welcome to BSF. My name is Vicki, and we are going to be studying Matthew 6 right now. And so let's pray, and then we can enjoy God's Word together. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this space that you have allowed your people to gather before your Word and to absorb, we pray, by the work of your Spirit, the teaching and righteousness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you be with us as we listen, as we uh, think about who you are, our Heavenly Father, and what it means to be your child. Please, would you transform us from the inside out so that our righteousness um, would honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We uh, thank you for him, for his work on the cross, which allows us to approach you so boldly to pray this prayer and to sit expectantly before your word, expecting that your spirit will be working in us and through us for your purposes. And so, Father, in that respect, I pray for myself that you would be with me, my words, that what I would say would only honor Jesus and edify his people. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen. So, several years ago, Brett, my husband, and I went over to dinner to a friend's house, and um, this family has three little girls, and they were uh, off playing with um, with our children, and I'm sitting at the friend, I'm sorry, I'm sitting at the table with my friend, and we're talking, and their youngest my friend's youngest daughter, who was about three or four at the time, comes up to me very specifically and says, looks up with these huge eyes and says, Mrs. Vicki Tatko, do you have gum in your purse? And I looked down at my purse, which was sitting right beside me on the floor, and I um, start to think like, oh no, something could be going wrong. Um, yes, I actually did have gum in my purse, which was sort of a rare thing, but uh, I responded to my friend's daughter, yes, I do have gum in my purse, and if your mommy says it's okay, you can have some. And so my friend's daughter turned to her and looked up with those great big eyes and just on her face, all the joy, all the happiness and hope and good things in her life were hinged upon the piece of gum in Mrs. Vicky Tacko's purse. And she opens her mouth and says, Mommy, may I have a piece of gum? And my friend looked down. It was, I think it was like eight o'clock at night. And um, I think past this little girl's bedtime anyway. And very kindly but firmly, my friend said, no, it is not a good time to have gum right now. And I remember that moment so clearly. And, and there's a number of different possibilities that could have happened. Um, time seemed to slow down. What was going to happen next? Uh, I There were several messy possibilities. She could try to grab the gum and run away or throw a temper tantrum and scream and yell or um, try to beg and cajole and change her mother's mind. And um, Or she could 
you know, go off, bite her time, and then try to come back later and sneak some gum out of my purse when we weren't looking. But the, this little girl turned to her mom and um, flung her face into her mom's lap and wept bitter tears of disappointment. And in that moment of profound disappointment, um, this little girl did such a beautiful thing. She did not run away from her mother, but she turned toward her. And um, the one who had firmly refused all of her hopes and dreams as she saw them in that moment, and she let her mom comfort her and hold her. And after three minutes of sobbing on my friend's lap, um, the little girl looked up, and the tears were all spent. And my mom gave her, or sorry, my not my mom, my mom wasn't there. Um, my friend gave her a hug, and um, the little girl went off to random play. And sometimes, I this ha- was such a profound moment for me to watch this, um, because in our world, we don't typically see a lot of examples where when we as humans set our hopes and dreams and all the joy and happiness in life on on the thing that we think will will get it what we deserve what we you know we could have the good life and that when that is thwarted so many times in our world the response is different from what my friend's daughter did that we, um, I mean, this happens to us all the time when we do not get the parking space, when we do not get the promotion, when we do not get the relationship, when we do not get the Christmas gift, when we do not, do not, do not, when those things are elusive and we time, you know, that is an opportunity for us to decide what are we going to do with this problem and this crisis. And so we don't see a lot of examples. I don't in my life, unfortunately, and certainly in the news and the world where we turn and do what this little girl did um, to turn toward our, our Heavenly Father who knows what is best for us and loves us because He made us and He made us in His image. And so we should trust him. And I think that is the that relationship is at the heart of Matthew 6. Um, what Jesus is teaching. This is the fundamental relationship that can help us make sense of this world. And our hopes and dreams and disappointments is to remember that we are not autonomous. We are not... Uh, we don't have childhood in the rearview mirror. We are um, not grown-up, independent adults or orphans that are just trying to find our own way in the world. But we do have a true Father, capital H, our Heavenly Father. And um, when we, when our heart's desire <laughs> leads a different way, um, Jesus is teaching us to come back repent, come back, come back to seeing our Heavenly Father as the one to who who loves us and um, wants to wants what is the very best for us and knows far better than we do what that is. And so um, this is the heart of uh, Jesus 
the Sermon on the Mount, um, this pivotal chap, this like climactic chapter in the whole Bible, um, or one of them, um, we should always again remember that the Sermon on the Mount doesn't stand alone. It stands um, in context of the Gospel of Matthew, of Jesus' life and ministry, of the Bible, and as the flow in the flow of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount calls. Um, Matthew's audience, the uh, the people of Israel, and also um, people who are not in Israel, which is, includes me, um, and perhaps you, all of us to repent of our independence, of our orphan status, and to turn toward our Heavenly Father. Um, the main theme in the Sermon on the Mount, this is now the third week that we are studying it. I think we have one more week. Um, we will finish the Sermon on the Mount next week. But the main theme is true righteousness. That it's not about doing, it's not being righteous is not about external things, but rather true righteousness is a heart attitude that flows outward. So it's internal and external. Um, the reality of God's kingdom must begin in the heart. And this true righteousness we can see in Matthew 6 is not about knowing a set of rules or even having the right heart attitudes or motives. It's grounded in relationship. Um, Jesus teaches about the relationship that is at the heart of true righteousness. And Jesus, this is what Jesus models for us also, as he told us um, in, in chapter 5, that he has come to fulfill the law. And for he reminds us throughout his ministry, and even now as he is sitting at the right hand of uh, God the Father in heaven, ascended, victorious, um, he is waiting on the good timing of his heavenly Father for the culmination of history, of human history, and the coming, the completion of the coming of his kingdom. So, uh, with all that, um, I think that's what we can learn as we get into this passage. Because God loves us, we can trust, we should trust that he knows us and that he will care for us. And so, um, let's, uh, with that, let's, let's get on in. We're going to have, we're going to cover Matthew 6 in two divisions, um, verses 1 to 18. Jesus is teaching his disciples to act righteously before God, not men. So, it's an external, um, or it's, uh, kingdom motives. And then, um, in uh, the, the rest of the chapter, verses 19 to 34, we're going to learn about kingdom relationship, the heart of um, the heart of righteousness. So let's dig on in to uh, Matthew 6, get your Bibles out or turn them on. And um, we're going to dive into verse 1. Matthew um, is telling us how Jesus teaches his disciples to act righteously before God, not men. And so, this uh, this first verse is a theme verse. It's a summary verse. Um, I'll read it, uh, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men uh, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so, that gets at the heart light, or the the heart of what this section, verses one to eighteen, is about. Beware, you and I need to beware performing religious duties, righteousness 
um, righteous acts to be seen by people. Um, what's under the spotlight is not the actions. He talks about um, giving to the needy, praying, um, fasting. Uh, the what's not those are good things, but what's not what's in the spotlight is the motives. Jesus teaches we must have the right motives behind the actions. Um, as I heard um, my friends say, counterfeit. Righteousness has counterfeit reward. And so, Jesus gives us three examples as he teaches about the right motivation for doing right things, religious duty, um, giving in the needy, prayer, and fasting. We're going to look at um, some overall patterns. The first is Jesus assumes, of course, that his disciples will have acts of righteousness. He doesn't command them, give to the needy, pray, fast. He assumes that that is already going to happen. Look at verse 2. So when you give to the needy, um, he's assuming they are already going to do that. Um, why, how can he assume that? Uh, because as the leader goes, so will the followers. These actions emulate Jesus' character. Because Jesus is generous in giving, his followers, he will transform us also to be generous in giving. This is not what, again, we trans up, trans, we drum up, but he is working in us um, so that we would do that. And as he gives as we see, are going to see him in the pages of Matthew, give his time, his energy, his resources, so too will we, those of us who follow Christ, um, be, be encouraged to do. That we too will give up time, energy, and resources in the advancement of God's kingdom. And so, this a call there to cooperate is implicit in this, in this entire section. Um, and um, as... Jesus is, and these actions, or I should say this, all these actions, again, are tied back to relationship. As Jesus is in relationship with God the Father, he can give generously because he knows his heavenly Father will provide him exactly what he needs. As he is in perfect relationship with God the Father, they will communicate and spend time together together. Jesus, we will see, spent hours of his earthly life in prayer. And in now, uh, Scripture also tells us Jesus spending every moment in prayer for us now um, before his heavenly Father. And so, as we follow Jesus, we too will emulate this relationship. So, it's a call to cooperate, again, knowing that his spirit needs to work in us in order for us to do these things. But true identity in Christ involves a heart of prayer, involves a heart of generosity, involves a heart of self-sacrifice. And so, that's what fasting is about. Um, I'm covering these at high level, I know, going fast, but looking for the big themes. Um, Jesus willingly gave up things so that he could hear better from God, his Father, and that's what fasting is, to give up something, food or sleep or a certain activity uh, for, for a time so that you can worship and pray. And as Jesus did that, so too will we follow him. Um, we who follow him will do what we are encouraged to do that also. And so, another observation I think that we can make about Jesus' three illustrations that they all include a positive and negative uh, contrast. So, in verses two to four, he gives on prayer, he gives the illustration while the hip, or 
I'm sorry about giving. When the hypocrites give very ostentatiously, give to be seen um, by humans, you, Jesus is saying, should give in secret. Um, so secret, in verse verse 3, you don't even know in your own self what you're doing. Your left hand does not know what your right hand is doing. Um, and it's looking then for the reward the another set of eyes, not human eyes, but the the heavenly Father's eyes, knowing that His reward is what matters. Um, and then we see in verses five to six, there's another illustration. Hypocrites pray very ostentatiously, but Jesus says, "You, as followers of Jesus, you should pray in private." Um, and He gives an illustration in verses. Um, you know, and even do it so privately that even in your own household, there's not um, there's not the the desire. Um, and of course, this is not. I I suggest to you, Jesus is not saying that we should never pray corporately or that families should not pray together. But rather, uh, there's a a with the contrast here. There's a, a a beware statement. Beware the inclination of your heart which is so excited about other people seeing, uh, to see glory, that we you need to act strongly to resist that temptation. And so, he also uh, talks about in verses 7 to 8, uh, about the Gentiles, they're praying, uh, when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans because they for they think they will be heard because of their many words and gentile pagan practices at the time there were certain prayers that were uh magical formulaic and you had to say them at a in the right place at the right time in the exact cadence and order of words and the idea the heart behind that is that there's some sort of you know, the deities, the powers, we can manipulate them. We can say a certain number of words, we can do this, and we can get what, I, what we want. And what Jesus is, is implying here is stated very clearly in verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you asked Him. So, um, Jesus also will come back to the Lord's Prayer because it is the center of the passage. But um, looking ahead at the uh, illustration in fasting, verses 6 to 18, Jesus tells us that hypocrites fast, they give up things, they give up food, water, activities to be seen by people, and they lean into that. They want people to see it. They disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Um, verse 16, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil in your head and wash your face, which is uh, culturally a way of saying, look like you're doing great. Look like you're not giving up those things on the outside so that it will not be obvious to, to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, we should say, too, that the hypocrite, that word hypocrite, the Greek word that's used there is used to describe a theater player, someone who would wear a mask while playing a part. And this is what true righteousness is not. It is not wearing a mask. It is not an external uh, whitewashing or painting, a mask put on to build up status or prestige for oneself. 
This is what seems to be the hypocrite's reward, status and prestige, to earn the immediate approval or admiration of others, um, to achieve glory in terms that are able to be tangibly felt now. And so, Jesus our Lord is laying bare uh, with these simple words, the motives of the human heart. Why do you and I say certain things? Why do we do certain things? That is because Jesus knows we long for approval. We long for glory. We long to be seen. And God has created us with those longings, but sin has distorted them. And part of God's redemption in Christ is the redemption of your and my heart motives that those longings for approval for glory to be seen, that we would set those not on what we can see, but as Jesus says uh, in verse 18, on what our Father, our unseen Father is doing and value His seeing, His reward, His commendation more than anything else. And so, rather than run after temporary earthly approval and glory, which can never satisfy the heart longings that we have, we are called to return to the one who knows us, uh, the one who loves us and who made us, God the Father, to seek the approval of the one who really matters. Only his approval can satisfy that deep longing in our heart. And what Jesus is saying here, in essence, is God sees you. He sees you even as you don't see him, and he loves you. Fix your eyes on and motives on him. God the Father is the only true and last, lasting reward. He himself is our greatest reward. And Jesus is teaching us then that true righteousness is a righteousness of faith. Faith is what when we are putting our hope in what is unseen, not as what is seen, as Hebrews 11 one to three uh, teaches us to believe and know that what we see here is not all there is. And just as we talked about earlier, two weeks ago, when we are persecuted um, for Christ's sake, the heart of faith trusts that actually that is, even though it doesn't look like it with our human eyes, actually that is the place of flourishing. That is the place of blessing. And, um, This encourages us to guard our hearts from the snares of earthly glory. So, when you pray, Jesus is saying, don't pray to impress other people. Be honest and humble before God. Don't be someone who prays more in public than you do in private. Jesus is saying, when you give to a needy person, because of course, you're, as you're following Jesus, you are going to do that. Do it quietly and beware the longing to see your name on a donor list, to watch somebody, uh, to see somebody um, watching you as you do the right thing, as you help the homeless person, as you um, give extra time to a friend in your life who is going through a hard hard situation. Um, and when you give up on something so that you can be more sensitive to God's care, His purpose, His leading, His character, don't call attention to it. Jesus is saying, beware the desire to bring to light to other people your devotion. Trust that it is God who sees you 
and He is your reward. And so that's a principle I think that we can learn is that God cares about the motives of the human heart. God cares about the motives of the human heart. When you go shopping, <laughs> there are some of us who um, look not at just the packaging and the exciting marketing that people have put on that cereal or on those crackers or on that pasta, but you care about what's on the inside. You care about the ingredients and how it was how it was made, what kind of uh, workers were used in the making of that product. Um, and in the same way, or of course, in a, in a very, in a similar way, but also different, God doesn't care about the outside, the packaging um, uh, alone. He does actually care about the inter- the external, but only as it reflects what is internal. God cares about the motives of the human heart. What is the ingredients that are inside you? The means that you use to uh, do certain things. Um, God wants His children to look for him, look to Him for approval and reward. Um, and Jesus wants us to understand this economy. Um, how? Aware are you of God's concern for your inside? Do you look to Him for your approval and reward? What does that look like in your day-to-day as you go to work, as you drive your car, as you sit with your family, um, as you send an email, or as you walk down the street? What does it look like for you and for me to seek the approval of God, not others, um, The Christian life is not just about external things. Because God loves us, He will care for us, and He wants us to know that He is what truly matters. So, let's go into our next section, um, or subsection, sorry, where Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray, um, verses 9 to 15. Um, Hebrew thinking is different from our Western uh, mindset, and so, in a Western argument, sometimes we will place our most exciting thing, the most important thing at the very end. It's the climax. It's the it's what we've been building up to. The ancient Hebrew mind um, often placed the most important idea in the very, very center. And I suggest to you that that is what's happened here in the Sermon on the Mount. At the very, very center of this very, very important teaching is the most important idea Jesus' teaching on prayer, verses 9 to 15. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer, and it's in the center of his three examples. Um, by placing it here, um, not a side note, Not a, this is not a parenthetical. Jesus is placing the main emphasis on this teaching. So, let's let's go ahead and read it, um, Verse starting in verse 8. Do not be like them, meaning the, the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you asked Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. Um, If God knows what we need uh, before we ask him, why does he want us to ask? It might feel like jumping through hoops, but Jesus, again, is talking about true righteousness, 
true righteousness of the heart, and that is grounded in relationship. And so this relationship um, is manifested here in prayer. Um, Prayer is simply talking with God, but it is far more than words. It is about relationship, and Jesus is showing us here that God is personal. He is relational. He, when we speak to Him, it is as children to our Father. Um, prayer is the living expression of a relationship, and so we don't invite people into an intimate space for sake of appearance. We pray because we love Him, um, the one who gave us life. And, and especially new life in Christ. And we come boldly and needily as children to our Father because we know that He loves us. Um, and even when the answer is no, like my friend's answer to her, to her daughter, that we can trust that He is our good Father and He cares for us. And that is the heart of prayer, knowing that it is a relationship. Um, even for us who are in Christ, however, prayer does not necessarily come naturally. And Jesus needs to teach us. We need to learn. Um, it's one of our greatest needs. Um, and Jesus, as God's perfect Son, member of the Trinity, who is in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit, He alone is perfectly qualified to teach us about this role. Um, and so, in verses 9 to 10, when he says, pray like this, we are asking our Father for him to be to reign and be glorified. Jesus is not teaching us, again, words to memorize. Not that it's bad to memorize them. It, it isn't. But this is a pattern for prayer. He, um, Jesus is about our hearts. And so, this is actually a challenge for me. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, I have prayed it by God's grace so many times that it's easy for my muscle memory just to have my my lips moving and my my head and my heart check out. And so this is a call for prayer to for us to know that prayer is about the whole person. It's about the relationship. And Jesus says this then is how you should pray. Um, he's Jesus is saying it's not this mad this is not magic. It's not as if you're going to say these say these words and suddenly the, our Heavenly Father will be pleased with you. It's about teaching us learning how to, to, um, to enter into this relationship or to, to lean into the relationship for those of us in Christ. Um, the main character of all human history of your life and mine is God, and so it starts with Him. We start with our Father. Um, Jesus is teaching us to reorient our eyes to God in prayer because prayer strengthens us and we need it. The world is a hard place to be. Prayer is the right response of a faithful heart caught in the clash between two kingdoms. So the first call is to focus on God. Who is He? He is our Father and that is His character. Some of us do not have good fathers. And so that can be hard to grasp that God is has taught us to think of him or is teaching us to think of him as father but god wants or jesus wants us to know and to remember that god truly is our good father he sees you he knows you he loves you he is wise anything in his life anything in your life that god is withholding from you he is doing that out of his kind and loving purposes 
Um, and we can trust him. God's name represents his whole character. And so to pray that God's name would be hallowed or honored is to pray that he would be honored here on earth as he is in heaven. Um, why would he want us to pray that? Because prayer involves God's people in his kingdom work. He wants us to pray as children of our heavenly father. What do children do, in the, especially in the ancient Near East? What are sons and daughters to be about? To be about the father's business. Not to go off and start their own business here or there, but to be actively engaged in what the Father is doing and know that that is what the entire family is called to do. Um, When we focus on God's work, God's kingdom, God himself, our problems become smaller. And um, in fact, the cure of all of our problems uh, is only available in the reality of this, um, of God's name being honored and his kingdom coming fully on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so when our minds, with our minds focused on God, we can now turn to our needs. Jesus tells us to bring our needs to God in confidence of who he is. And when he asks, he instructs us to pray for our daily bread, it's to acknowledge our neediness. God has made us to be needy in many ways every single day. And that to know that um, we need God's continuing provision day by day. We can't just get one big shipment of bread from the Lord and that's enough. We never need to depend on him ever again. No, bread gets moldy and stale and it goes very quickly, especially in the ancient Aries. They would have understood that. Um, We need God every single day um, to provide for us. We also need for God, one of our greatest needs is for God to forgive us. And Jesus uses the language here of debt, of financial um, correspondence, and he's teaching us that our offenses, our rebellion, our sin against our Heavenly Father have put us in his debt, and we cannot fully pay him back. We need the debt to be forgiven. And what that means is, in God's economy... To be paid in full by Jesus Christ, his son. And so you and I can only be reinstated as uh, in right relationship with God when we have received his free gift of forgiveness in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that is our true identity is as forgiven people, and therefore, because we have re-entered our, the, and a renewed relationship with God our Father that is centered in Jesus Christ, it means that we must be transformed. His forgiveness of us in His kingdom economy must so transform us that we are postured to forgive other people graciously, generously, mercifully when they do not deserve it and they cannot pay us back. Um, and Jesus circles back on that. In It's so important and it's so hard for us to learn it that he comes back and he says in very sobering words in verses 14 and 15, um, if we do not receive God's economy, of forgiveness and allow it to transform us, we are actually not living in God's economy. If you do not 
If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is a sober warning, my friends, that we cannot uh, enter into God's kingdom and His economy and keep our own. We must receive our heavenly Father's generosity and sin-forgiving reign. Um. Uh, okay, so we can be, uh, in the last request, we can see Jesus teaches us to ask God to protect us from evil. This is not asking, sometimes we probably think, protect us from anything that feels bad. Um, it's, it's, that's not it. That's not what Jesus is training us to ask. It's not to be spared from testing, but to be delivered from failing, from the kind of temptation that would lead us into failure. And it reminds us that we are weak. We are far weaker than we actually think we are. And with God's, without God's help, the evil one, God's enemy, Satan, the accuser, will take us down. Uh, but he who stands with us is greater than the one who stands against us. And so, this prayer acknowledges our great need and our vulnerability against the enemy, uh, God's enemy. But it also acknowledges that our um, that God is greater and His Son, Jesus, has defeated Satan forever. And we have seen that already. Um, we've gotten to glimpse it in uh, Matthew 4. Um and so, I think we, as we think about this, we can learn that Jesus wouldn't teach us uh, to pray to God if it were meaningless. Um, even though the Father's answer might be no, our purpose in prayer is not to get what we want, is not to be happy in an earthly way, um, or like in superficial ways, but rather to understand that God is teaching His children how to live in His presence. And that's the principle I think we can learn. God teaches his children how to live in his presence. And when there's a rich celebrity or a famous athlete with a lot of money, a successful person, there are people who want to be around them um, and follow them. But when they lose their money, when they get caught in drug addiction or other problems, um, people sort of step back, you know, ooh, well, I don't know if I can be a fan of you know, this person or that person. Um, and that shows us the human nature that we want. We sometimes have relationships for what we can get out of it. And God wants his children to learn how to live in his presence without that sense of uh, transactionalism. Um, not that we will not get things from him. Of course we will, because he knows what we need, and he is a provider and a giver. But the purpose of prayer is not to get what we want, or to get answers, or to receive things from God, but rather have more intimate fellowship with him. And it's to have lives that glorify Him more, that are molded more and more to be who He's redeemed us to be, to look like Jesus as rulers and co-heirs by His grace. And so, it is a movement as we, trans- as we pray, God works in that prayer mysteriously so that we more and more enjoy the presence of God, not the presence of God. So, little wordplay there. Sorry, it's hard to, my pronunciation isn't great. But it helps us enjoy 
the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, of God, of being with him, and not the presence of God, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, what we get from him. Um, what is eternal life? Jesus says eternal life in John seventeen three is knowing God, the only true God in Jesus Christ to whom um, God is sent. God teaches his children how to live in his presence. Um, how is God teaching you that? Um, and how about through prayer? Um, have you cheapened prayer? In what ways do you keep God on the outside or have been more concerned by what you can get from him than be with him? And yet, how is God trans- already transforming you, if you are a follower of Christ, to desire his presence, to be dissatisfied with just getting things, but rather be more satisfied with himself, being with him? Um, and uh, God wants to be with you. Does that increase your love for him? Um, God wants you and me to learn even now and more and more who he is and what he is like and how he cares for us. Um, okay, and so this, this next section, Jesus is teaching us about kingdom priorities. Um, in verses 19 to 25, he is uh, teaching his disciples about Um, What does it look like to have right priorities? Um, What do we do with our needs? Uh, And I've heard it said this way, the underlying motive of true righteousness is always God's glory. And so Jesus gets into the nitty-gritty and he he offers us uh, visual pictures of um, what, what it is like to live in his kingdom and what is it like to live as if his kingdom doesn't exist. Um, and so, he, verse 19, he says, Do not store, for yourself, store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so, everything here that is so wonderful in this world um, is going to fade away. Um, And that's not denying the beauty of a sunrise or a good meal or that a new car can be fun and useful. Um, But the true value that we sometimes place on those things uh, is disproportionate to actually um, in God's larger economy. Our hearts are too easily enamored with things that are only transient. And so instead of directing our energy toward building up those sorts of treasures, the good things in life um, that we can feel and touch and taste and see with our eyes. Uh, Jesus is calling us to live by faith, to follow him and invest in his kingdom. And um, he says, uh, whatever, basically, whatever you will give up now, our generous God will more than compensate with imperishable reward. And we need to be careful what we set our heart, our eyes on, verses 22 and 23. Our heart will, will follow that. And God has made us so that we can only serve one master, uh, verse 24. Um, 
we can serve God or we can serve love of money or possessions. Um, and if someone looked at your life, who would they think is your master? If you aren't sure, look at how you spend your time, your money, what you think about throughout the day and the night. The good news is that God is about heart transformation. So if you are in Christ, this is your destiny. Your underlying motives will be the glory of God. That is your destiny in Christ. Um, and and Jesus tells us in verse 33 that when we seek first his kingdom, there will be uh, all these things, the things that we, the things of true value will be added unto us. Um, okay, so we're, <laughs> our last section, verse 25 to 34, because of us, because of the, of God's lasting economy versus the transient value of things in this world, uh, Jesus is helping us live with kingdom values um, in that way. Um, do not worry about your life and your needs. And so he tells us, verse 25, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And he gives us two examples. Look at the birds of the air. Uh, look at the lilies of the field. And he's saying God cares for them. God clothes lilies and he feeds birds. He will care for you too because Jesus says you are... Uh, verse 26, are you not much more valuable than they? Um, and he says that down there too. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And so um, only we are made in God's image, in his creation. And he made us with these kind of ongoing needs. And he knows about them. Like what we eat and drink, our bodies, um, what we'll wear. Um, and yet Jesus is saying... Life is more than that, um, and God knows it. And so, it's not, Jesus is not saying, oh, we should totally, ne- you know, never think about the fact that you need to um, feed your children or um, have shoes to wear on your feet in the winter, or um, that he's saying worry is not going to help you meet those needs. It is only going to take from you. Worry is a thief, worry, and, it, and it steals. Um, and worry is actually a sin. Why? Because it's a lack of trust that God sees you and cares for you and has a good plan. And we can see that in the, it comes out of little faith. Look at the end of verse 30. Oh, you of little faith. Um, it doesn't mean, again, of course, Jesus is not promising a prosperity gospel. That um, if you pray, if you do what God wants, and he will give you money and um, all the nice things that you think you need in your life. Okay, don't. that is not true. Do not, don't tune out and just hear me say that one sentence. Um, we will suffer want. And so we can even see that back in the Beatitudes. Um, there we will hunger and thirst um, for righteousness, but that is a hunger and thirsting. There we will, um, there will be times, and we'll get onto this later in Matthew, where Jesus is saying, you, you know, to there will be a lot of giving up to do to follow Jesus. Um, but what Jesus is saying is that um, at the heart is a relationship. The heart of your life and mine must be recentered. We must be transformed to see the relationship of us as children to a heavenly Father who is good and kind and loving and knows 
the very, 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 very best path for us um, and for his people. And so that's how he can say, um, he's not saying don't plan or don't ever um, care for your children or think about that. Um, Don't worry. Saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink, what shall we wear, verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So that's, he knows what we need. And um, focus instead, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, um, and these things will be given to you as well. Um, Live in today's challenges, trusting God with the tomorrow. And so that's our final principle, that seeing God for who he is puts life in right perspective. To make sense of things, you need the right vantage. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those pictures that are like when it's up close, like a microscope picture or a lens pulled pulled close. If you are up too close to a stamp or skin or an apple, it's very, very hard to see how things fit and what they are. And even if we're so pulled out, you know, and you're just looking at the earth and it's this little tiny ball. You can't see things um, clearly. Need sense of things, we need the right vantage. And so Jesus is teaching us that seeing God for who he is puts life in the right perspective. And when God transforms us so that we can do that, um, we can see through all the temporary treasures and the temporary problems. And it doesn't guarantee our our current existence is will be rainbows and ponies and sunshine the battle is real there will be suffering and trouble and calling in following christ um but as jesus says in this world we will have trouble but take heart jesus has overcome the world and in the relationship that we have with uh by god's grace through faith in christ jesus uh our heavenly father is the one who prevails and invites us into that life flourishing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your patience to teach us. Thank you for your generous giving as our Father to give us, most of all, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Not only his teaching and his uh, power, but his sacrifice. Thank you that he uh, poured out his spirit on us so that we can be transformed more and more to live as your children. And so we pray that uh, you would enable us to do just that and um, live unto Jesus' glory uh, even today. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen. All right. Bye, friends. See you next week.